What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to the very, well, I would say second episode of The Struggle, where we're going to get down to the nitty gritty of things. And if you guys can, uh, oh, I guess we're having issues again with StreamYard and our camera. Ah, Lord. The joys of technology. Let me, I don't understand why this camera just does not like StreamYard. Either way, we're going to rock out without it. So we're just going to go ahead and just remove that because you guys seeing me doesn't really matter. So, but for those of you that are watching, yes, we are streaming live on YouTube, Facebook, and the Instagrams. Now, unfortunately, for those of you on Instagram, you guys won't be able to see any of the slides, but you guys get to see me. So I would like to thank you guys for being here and for, well... Unfortunately, for those of you that are on the stream yards, I mean, for on there goes one of the studio mutt. Say hi, QQ. Well, he's 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 sleeping. He ain't paying nobody no mind. So there goes the studio mutt. Let me see if I can get this camera up and rolling so that way you guys can get a nice little sneak peek of the studio mutt. Let's go ahead and just refresh stream yard and see if we can get this thing popping all over again. Okay. Uh, I don't understand why this thing just does not like working. Like it's weird. It's a brand new camera, and I and, and I I know I complain about it every every episode. Up oh, there you go. He cued him. Woke up. So I complain about this every episode. I don't understand why. You know, StreamYard has an issue with this. We're just going to see if we can get this thing up and rolling again. <sighs> Lord, we got we had to close out StreamYard. Let's see if we can get it back up and running again. going on with this ecam live what what is going on with this do you not understand why it's just not popping up screw it we're just gonna we're gonna go ahead and run without it enter studio yeah, apologies, everybody. We're just gonna go ahead and run without the camera. I don't. I, I honestly, I, I. This is the strangest thing to me. I don't understand why this camera does not like working with Streamyard. I like it, it. It's like we've tried Google Chrome. We've tried. Um, we've tried Firefox. We've tried several browsers. It just. It just does not seem to like it. So either way, that's besides the point. So we're just gonna go ahead and. We are going to make this the full screen here. I don't understand why it's not letting me, but okay, whatever. Mm. Either way, let's let's go ahead and get and get this thing popping. Of course, you know I'm drinking uh, Black Rifle Coffee, the calf, uh, with a little uh, bit of uh, sweet cream, just to energize today's podcast. So. We are going to get into this Exodus chapter nineteen. Mm -hmm. Apologies, I know we did it. We've done it before, 
but we were having issues with the audio. I don't seem why I don't understand why technology just just does not seem to like me um, very much, even though I work in tech. So it, it's it's one of the strangest things. So we are using the Messianic Family Jewish Bible version. However, I don't really care what version you guys use. It could be King James. It can be the NIV. It could be whatever translation you guys use. Just, you know, as long as you guys get a Bible, so that way we guys can go ahead and get this thing started. So chapter 19 reads, the the Tiffany, or Theophany, sorry, the Theophany at Sinai. 19, in the third month after B'nai Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, uh, that same day, they arrived at the wilderness of Sinai. They traveled to Rephidim, uh, came into the wilderness of Sinai, and set up a camp in the wilderness. Israel camped there right in front of the mountain. Moses went up to God and Adonai, uh, went up to God and Adonai called out to him. And for those of you, if this is your first time, Adonai is just another, it's a Hebraic name or Hebraic title for, for God. I don't understand why they put that in there twice, but whatever. Uh, and Adonai called, uh, called to him from the mountain saying, say this to the house of Jacob and tell B'nai Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you listen, cl- if you listen closely to my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be my own treasure from among all people. For all the earth is mine, so as for you, you will be to me a kingdom of Kohanim. And Kohanim just means priest. It's a he it's a Hebrew word for that translates into priest. And a holy nation. These are the words which you are to speak to B'nai Israel. And B'nai, you know, uh B'nai or Bain is son. You know, it's sons of Israel. So Moses went, called the elders of the people and put before them all these words. And Adonai had uh, that Adonai had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, everything that Adonai has spoken, we will do. Then Moses reported the the words to the people of uh, to Adonai. So. I'm going to pause right here and I don't feel like too many people really talk about this. Don't really mention this. Um, when, when they're doing Bible study and stuff like that, please understand that it wasn't just the Hebrews that came out of Israel. It was other people as well. And just remember that the Israelites that, that first came were Jacob and his sons and their sons. Since then, they have multiplied. So, of course, they're not only marrying amongst themselves, but they're also marrying the Egyptians, some Egyptians or probably a lower class of Egyptians. As we know, Yosef uh, had did that. He was married to a priest, uh, a priestess of Ra, and he, and, you know, he had two sons. Um, but also, of course, the sons, it, you know, it's just logical to think that they were also marrying with other people that were inside of Egypt um, as time went on. And we've also alluded to the fact that the king uh, in, um, that the king that was being spoken of in uh, Exodus that did not know Joseph 
or Yosef, the Hebrew version, that he was probably not Egyptian. He was probably a foreigner. Um, you know, he's probably someone who had came in and conquered Egypt after the time of Joseph. He could have been somebody from another dynasty in in Egypt. You know, it wasn't that Egypt or um, Mitzrayim in my version, the one that I like, which is the Hallelujah Scriptures, because they use they don't really use a lot of the modern words. They use a lot of the Hebraic words. They don't really use the Greek versions and stuff like that. Because you won't see priests, you'll see Kohanim. Um, and then you won't see Egypt, you'll see uh, Mitzrayim, same way that we see Raphadim here. So, of course, the sons of Israel, they are marrying other people. And then when they were coming out of Israel, I mean, when they were coming out of Egypt, it wasn't just them. It was a mixed multitude. So, and some some scholars have alluded to the fact that uh, Joseph's coat of many colors and I, and I heard this and I loved it, was that it was a foreshadowing of a mixed multitude, a multitude of many colors um, coming out as one nation, as the body of Christ or the Messiah or the body of God, pretty much. So uh, so I, I, I really like that. I, you know, do I think it's 100% true? But I mean, could be. I mean, I, I, I definitely think it's very plausible. But... um. So as we're seeing here, that what God is saying is he's pretty much reintroducing himself to the Hebrews. He is reintroducing himself to the people that will become Israel. Uh, Sorry, I'm just looking at a few things here. So that's why he said, I carried you out on eagle's wings uh, and you will be to me a kingdom of Kohanim of priests and a holy nation. So now he's saying, from this day forward, you're going to be one people. You're going to be my people. You're going to represent me in the world, in the world at large. That's pretty much what he's saying. Uh, let me see here. I think, uh, as you guys know, I like to use Dennis Prager's book, uh, The Rational Bible. Uh, let me see. Yeah, right here, uh, he talks about, he has a short essay that uh, that says, the two types of faith in God's existence and in God's goodness. He quotes uh, verse four, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagle's wings. In alluding to the 10 plagues and splitting the sea uh, and to his protection of the Israelites, God is remind. oh, wow. Sorry for those of you that are on that are on uh the the Instagram the Instagrams. I don't I got a call. Um God reminding to the people of what he has done. This is to prelude uh to the to a demand he will now make uh of them. This is a rare instance in the Torah in which God speaks in poetic language according to Rashi. God compares himself to an eagle that carries its young on its wings because other birds Put their young between their feet. Uh, they are they are afraid of birds that can fly above them and snatch their young. But the eagle knows no other bird that can fly higher, and it can protect its young by putting them on its wings. Uh, this image expresses God's protective love for His people. 
two parts of this verse of what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings reflects the duality uh, of faith in God. By seeing what God did to the Egyptians, the Israelites saw God, uh, God's existence and action by hearing God carry them on eagles' wings. They hear God's love. Belief in God means more than believing God exists. It also means believing God cares about us. After all, if God exists but doesn't care about us, what's the diff- what difference does it make to us whether God exists? For all intents and purposes, uh, there is no difference between atheism and the existence of God who doesn't care about us. Of course, he continues writing. And I just want to allude to that point. Like, yeah, I agree. Because what we see here, and I think that also alludes to where the Hebrews were mentally, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually, they were crying out for like years and God just was not answering them. God wasn't really, even though God is always working, God works in his own time. You know, sometimes us as human beings, when, especially if you grew up in a, in a religious or spiritual setting, uh, sometimes when we have this idea that if we cry out to this, this all powerful almighty being that's we expect something to happen it doesn't always happen the way that we believe it should so i believe in this part that is when the egyptian i mean the hebrews began to lose faith and that's why god had to reintroduce himself because of course you know they're getting their their um their ideas from god not only from their own uh their own culture uh, not only are they getting, um, not only are they getting God from their own like stories, their oral traditions and stuff like that. You know, of course they've been in uh, in Egypt for a long time now, but they are also getting their idea of God from the Egyptians. So, and we're going to see that in later chapters, but we're starting to get this blend of, of, of cross-pollination and stuff like that uh to where god is like no 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 what you think is not is not it so i'm going to do this in front of you i'm going to speak so that way you can hear me and i'm going to make myself perfectly clear so i'm going to go ahead and keep reading adonai said to moses i'm about to come to you in a thick cloud so that the people will hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. Then Moses told the words of the people to Adonai. Adonai said to Moses, go to the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothing. Be ready for the third day. For on the third day, Adonai will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You are to set boundaries for the people all around, saying, be very careful not to go up onto the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain will surely be put to death. Now, I would like to stop here. See there, the language is different versus in Genesis when God is talking to Adam and telling him not to eat from the, to not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because he said... Um, he said, because uh, once you eat from the tree, you will surely die. But here, he says, 
whoever touches the mountain will surely be put to death. That means in- instantaneously. You'll be put to death. That That is a punishment, not a a declaration in which Genesis where you will surely die. It doesn't mean you're going to die right now. It means you're just going to die. You're, 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 you were meant to live forever, and now you've lost that. But in this one, he's saying, look, if you touch this mountain, you're going to be... You're going to be executed. So not a hand is to touch it, but he will be sure he will surely be stoned or shot through. Again, God's being very descriptive. Um, Whether uh, whether it is an animal or a man, it will not live. Uh, When the shofar sounds, they may come up to the mountain and a shofar is a ram's horn. Then Moses went down from the mountain to the people, consecrated them, and then they washed their clothing. He said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not draw near your wives, even though God did not say that. But I'm, I'm, I'm sensing, and I could be wrong, is that Moses added that point because he wanted us to be pure in body you know, body, mind, and spirit, you know, and of course that goes to the washing of clothes and all this other stuff, you know, the the exchange of bodily fluids. So I'm assuming that's why Moses put that in there. And I could be wrong. There could be a biblical scholar that can probably explain that better than I can. Let me see. That is verse 14. Let me see if Dennis covers it in his book. All right, kind of skips over it. Oh, no, he doesn't really. Oh, yeah, he does. Um, uh, 19, he said to the people, be ready on the third day. Do not go near a woman. Uh, remember, uh, Dennis is, is translating from the JPS version. Said, although sex is not considered unholy in the Torah, the Israelites are instructed to refrain from intercourse during the three days preceding the revelation. The day, the days imme- immediately preceding this unique divine revelation were not a time for sex. The Israelites were to have uh, were to have loftier matters on their mind, or loftier. Yeah, so I think this is when you know it, it's it's not about sex. It's not about all this other stuff. It is about look. You're preparing for God. So this is not a time for you to be getting your rocks off. This is not a time for you to be doing all this. This is a time of preparation. Sorry, I had to get some coffee. All right. In the morning of the third day, there was thundering and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain and a blast of an exceedingly loud shofar. All the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the lowest part of the mountain. Now the entire mountain, um, the entire Mount Sinai was in smoke because Adonai had descended upon it in fire. The smoke ascended like a smoke, like the smoke of a furnace. The whole mountain quaked greatly. When the sound of the shofar grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him. With a thunderous sound. Then Adonai. You know you know what's funny? And I, let me just take a, a quick pause. 
What's interesting is now that I'm reading the Hallelujah scriptures and of course I've been doing some other study on my own time. It's like now it's like I kind of cringe. Like at first I liked when I first started reading this version, I liked the word Adonai because of course it is Hebrew for my Lord and stuff like that or the Lord. But now after reading the Hallelujah scriptures and more uh, Hebraic uh, scholars and teachers and stuff, I prefer to use the actual name of God. Uh, which is Yahuwah or, um, or, you know, it's not Yahweh. It's, it's it, the, the, depending on the, well, that the tetragrammaton is yod heh vav or, you know, Yahovah, but the actual pronunciation is Yahuwah. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure someone who actually speaks Hebrew can probably do the little sound better than I can. So it, it, I'm just saying for me reading this again, it's a little weird for me saying Adonai. I'm just saying. Now, Adonai came down onto Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. Adonai called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up. Then Adonai said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through break through to see Adonai and come of them. And many come, uh, sorry, and many of them, yeah, let me reread that one. I'm sorry. I apologize. Now Adonai said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to see Adonai and many of them die. Even the Kohanim who come near to Adonai must consecrate themselves so that Adonai does not break out against them. Moses said to Adonai, the people cannot come up. Let me move this up because I got something blocking it. The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you, uh, for you are the one who warned us, saying, set boundaries around the mountain and consecrate it. So it's like Moses is acting as a secretary to uh, to to God and reminding him, like, look, you told us not to come up here. You said it. So that, you know, and then Adonai said to him, go down. You are to come back up. You and Aaron with you, but do not let the Kohanim and the people break through to come up to Adonai, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. So let me see. Let's go ahead and refer back to. Uh, see what Dennis has to say about all that. Okay. Mm. He says uh, here in 23, Moses believed that since he warned the people once, they would surely not try to come too close to the mountain. But God repeated this injunction because... He has a better understanding of human nature. One warning won't suffice to hold the people back and get closer to this once-in-a-lifetime spectacle. Even the priests are still not allowed to come close enough to touch the mountain, noted in verse 22. So one of the reasons why I really loved Dennis Prager's book is because he puts a lot of emphasis and he writes like a lot of essays and he has um, he has other scholars that he references in this 
He said one essay right here says fear is a part of relating to God. And it's a two parter. Um, he says, God, God frightened the people with unusual, terrifying natural phenomena. In the Talmud, there's a legend that depicts God holding the mountain over the over the head of the people and threatening to drop it on them if they did not accept the law. This is quite a powerful statement, a sober a sober take on what was happening at Sinai, the, and more generally on human nature. The Talmud recognizes few people want to be bound by rules, but this is precisely what the Ten Commandments do. Indeed, the revelation at Sinai specifically. Uh, specifically the giving of the Ten Commandments is regarded by many Jews and uh, by many Jewish and non-Jewish thinkers as the root cause of Jew hatred. <clears throat> Hitler explained uh, Hitler, for example, acknowledged uh, this. We are fight. Uh, we are fighting. He said against the most ancient curse that humanity has brought upon itself against the so-called Ten Commandments against them. We are fighting. Uh, his life mission, he said, was to destroy the tyrannical God of the Jews and his life-denying Ten Commandments. When the Ten Commandments, uh, when the Ten Commandments, the Jews introduced into the world moral absolutes to live by, backed by a judging God. And then he has a second part, and so is love. This verse clearly suggests that the aforementioned Talmudic text made a valid point: the Israelites accepted the covenant out of fear. While fear is the only component mentioned here, God wanted the Israelites to accept the revelation, the the covenant, and the Ten Commandments out of love as well. Thus God preceded um, the Sinai revelation with his poetic description of his love for the protection of his people. Terrified, Terrified as the Israelites were of God's power, they hopefully also recognized God's loving, lovingly cared, uh, carried them out on, out of Egypt on eagle's wings. This combination of love and fear is a model for how people should strive to relate to God and to parents who regard who are regarded as God's agents on earth. And of course, he has he has more here, but we're not really going to get into that. We're just going to talk about chapter nineteen today. So. So and and I, now I'm going to get into into my thoughts and ideas on um chapter 19. I do think I think Dennis has a great point that this chapter is really talking about love and fear. And when we think about our lives, hopefully some of us, we always see in our relationships there is a love and a, there's a balance of love and fear, especially as Dennis put it to, with our parents. As children, we love our parents like all damn near unconditionally, but we also have a fear of them of, because of their power and authority. You know, and and I think that that parental relationship is so important and that's why it's so it's so concerning when uh, when I hear stories of parents abusing their children because it is very heartbreaking because you are the first you are the first line in their progression to having a loving relationship, not only with other people, but to God, even in marriage, there should be a healthy balance of love and fear. 
you know, and, and I'm not saying you should fear your partner, but you should fear the repercussions. Case in point, infidelity. You should be fear that healthy sense of fear in being um in being uh in acting out infidelity should keep you from not doing it. Not you know, and 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 this is why I say love is just not enough. Because yeah, you can love your partner, but we are human. We're flawed. I mean, we we backslide and all this other stuff all the time, but if you ever notice that fear is what kind of keeps us in line. Sometimes people don't do things out of fear of pain, you know, out of fear of hurt or loss. Some people, you know, don't really get into investments or gambling or whatever because they're afraid of losing money. So we should carry that into our relationships with one another as well, especially in marriage. You should not be acting, you should not cheat on your significant other, not just out of love, that, that that is one great reason why, but also out of fear of losing your partner, breaking up your home, you know, breaking up your, ruining your children's lives. It, that fear should keep you in a sane and, and, uh, and, obedient place i even though people have this issue with the with the word obedience you know and it's it's to me it's a little it's a little like and and it's like as i'm thinking about marriage as i'm thinking about my relationship and stuff like that you know it's it's definitely a very eye-opening thing because of course me and my wife we we debate the idea of marriage and why do we get married and all this other stuff and we talk about these things all the time and sometimes you know my my answers kind of come off very harsh I don't mean to be harsh but it's I, I I look at things differently in a way I look at things in kind of like what I said you know it's out of fear like my wife asked me oh um this is a conversation we've had so, so long ago. And she was like, um, well, why don't you cheat? And I said, well, well, one, I don't cheat because I have an abundance mindset there. There's plenty of people out here, but also I don't cheat because one, especially now that we're married and we've already made that declaration before God that, you know, we are married, we're going to stay married. And we have, we have, uh, commandments in our marriage, you know, that I've talked about several times, of you know if if you do any of these commandments that's it marriage is done but um but out of respect and out of fear of god because the bible does talk about you know uh divorce and all this other stuff but also my my idea is especially someone coming from a split household i do not want another man raising my children or i don't want another person raising my children because i would not have any real influence on my children's upbringing. I would only have a partial and limited influence on my children's upbringing. So to me, that terrifies me a lot. And that's not to say that, you know, my step parents did a bad job with me, but I can see from my dad's perspective, my mom's perspective, you cannot control who your ex or your child's other parent you cannot control who they invite into their lifestyle. 
You can't. You can have the conversation. You could try to negotiate with them, but you just cannot have you you don't have control. So as I talked about earlier this week, when with, with some of those stories of these men or these people uh committing heinous crimes against their exes and against themselves and their ch- ultimately their children, you know, the fact that you allow somebody into your child's life who ultimately killed you and now subjected your kids either to the the foster care system because sometimes kids family members don't want to take their kids in or can't take their kids in or whatever else to me that that's the fear that I have that's why I that's why there's a there should be a healthy balance between fear and love I fear the outcomes of not being involved in my children's lives whenever my wife and I decide to have them I fear that sometimes the grass may not be greener on the other side while I may get better my prospects may not get better as we've seen women uh, and this is not to bash women but the quality of women isn't what it used to be the quality of men isn't what it used to be so I understand the frustration that people have so in the relationship to God and parenting it is important that parents really understand this dynamic between God and man, because in a good parent, you are also representing that to your children. You are the first person they interact with before they can even read any word of the Bible. They It's already ingrained in us. You know, I remember uh, The Crow. I love The Crow um, comic book, the graphic novels. And some of the movies, uh, the very first one with Brandon Lee. Um, uh, Brandon Lee was, um, you know, he was helping to take care of this this little girl. I forgot her, her, you know, I can't remember her name right now in the movie. But the mom was a junkie. And ironically, the mom was dating or hooking up with one of the guys that killed him, that killed the crow. And... When he finally comes back and he's he's going after the people that killed him and his fiance Shelly, you know, he kills the, the guy that was involved in his murder, but he also sees the little girl's mom and he helps get the drugs out of her system. And the one thing that I found that was beautiful was he said, mother is the word for God on the lips of all of our children. You are the first like representative for God to your children. So it is very important that for people, we govern ourselves in a in a righteous way, in a godly way, because we are also bringing up the next generation. So if we break that chain, or if we break that relationship, it makes it it doesn't make it impossible, but it makes it harder for children to not only relate to other people but to relate to God. Some and some for some of us, it takes us down a very exhausting path just saying but um but i also like the fact that in this one you know uh it kind of goes back to the mixed multitudes because i hear you know and i and i go around a lot of um biblical circles on on social media and stuff like that and i have these conversations with people especially when they talk about all the denominations of Christianity all and Judaism and 
all this other stuff and the first church and Christian, you know, and the ideas of Christianity. And it's weird to me when I hear these conversations and I, and I, and I get it. I don't expect people to agree with me. I don't expect people to understand my thought process. I don't expect anyone, you know, to, I don't want to say convert, but to see where I'm coming from. But as someone who is reading the Bible, you know, I try to read it for what it is and I try to read it for understanding um, later on. It's, It's weird for me because I feel like I'm the monkey in the middle. You got Judaism on one side and you have Christianity on the other side. And they're both doing the same thing. Because when I read the Torah, which is the Old Testament, the five books of Moses, it's like I look at my Jewish friends and I look at people who um, in these Jewish circles and I'm like, how do you not see the Messiah in this, in in your scriptures? How do you not see it? How do you not see that Yeshua is the Messiah? But then I go to Christian circles and I... And I see and I hear like the weirdest things like, oh, uh, Jesus did away with the with the commandments or Jesus did away with the law, even though that's not what the scripture said, even though Jesus or Yeshua or Jesus says that I did not come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill them, you know, he and but the laws that he was breaking that the Christians claim that Jesus came to destroy they were Pharisee laws. They were Pharisee, you know, they weren't biblical laws. They weren't Mosaic laws. They were Pharisee laws. So when I hear, when I see these Christians talking about, oh, well, Jesus came to do away with the, with the, uh, with the law and I, I'm blessed by the blood of Christ and yada, yada, yada. And I'm just like, but bro, how do you not see what was said in the Old Testament? Oh, the Old Testament is done away with. No, it's not. The Old Testament, you know, is told in the in the New Testament repeatedly. It's nothing in the New Testament is new. It's the Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament t- tells us how we are to relate to God, the things that we're supposed to do, and cr- as Christians, we're not doing them. I'm not. I'm not um, genetically Jewish, or by I'm not. I don't have. To my knowledge, I don't have an ancestry in Judaism. Perfectly fine. But the Bible talks about being an offshoot, being a branch of the main branch. And, you know, and, and when I'm reading chapter 19, not at, they weren't even Jewish then. They were Hebrews. They were, uh, they were the sons of Israel and their offspring. You know, they... And even them, they weren't, not all of them were were Hebraic. They were just the descendants of Abraham, Jacob, and, oh yeah, Abraham and Jacob, who were the real Hebrews. So it's like, when I look at these two, it's like, how do you, how do we not get it? How do we not understand? It's very simple. If we shut off the idolatry, the religious idolatry and actually read if we actually paid attention, if we actually studied, this stuff is simple, but you know, to, and, 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 and this will be a debate that we're going to have for the rest of our lives, you know, and, and again, this is, this is my own revelation that I'm having as I'm reading it. Cause remember when I started this, I was not 
a Bible believer at all. I was someone who was just reading it for the philosophical and the ethical moral teachings and lessons because of my Masonic, you know, my Masonic, you know, leanings, but because the, the Masonic, the, the Masonic foundation is always about seeking information, seeking knowledge and understanding the world. And especially the fact that I, I swore myself that the God of the Bible was going to be my, my God. And also the Bible was going to be the, the ruling God of everything that I do. It behooves me to understand what it says. So it's just interesting now that I'm reading chapter 19 and I'm thinking about all the mixed multitudes who were baptized when they, when they crossed the the Reed sea, it's just, it's very eye opening and it's very breathtaking. So, but, um, as we're going to go ahead and we're going to wrap up, you know, I would like to thank all of you who, who tune in, uh, just remember every Friday, you guys can watch the live on YouTube, uh, Facebook for now, Instagram for now. I think we're probably going to go more to a more YouTube version uh, in the near future. I'm not entirely, I haven't made my mind up yet. But if you guys are on the go, like, trust me, I am because my day is starting because I work at night. Um, You guys can check us out on Spotify. Uh, You guys can just uh, look up the Edmo Show on Spotify. It should pop up and you should have all of our episodes uh, up and downloaded. And that way you guys can listen to me rant or my ideas anytime you want. But also please visit the um the Teespring store. We do we're having new mugs being made. I'm waiting on my trial to be shipped. And until then, of course, I don't like asking you guys for money uh on the on the uh on the struggle or the biblical series because it's not for me. It's for all of us. But if you decide to donate, please Go over to our PayPal. Just, um, I believe you guys can put a note in there that says the struggle. Just put the struggle in there, so that way I know it's for the struggle. And my my goal is I want to grow the platform to where I can start getting Bibles out to people who need them, and so that way I can start donating money to people who are actually in need. So please, if you guys feel like you guys want to uh, donate, please do that over at our PayPal. And until then, I will see you guys later. Peace out.